uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how are you doing today? Man, I'm good. It's uh, it's a beautiful day, a little rainy this morning, but it's nice now, and we've got a lot, to lot, lot, lot to get to, so I'm excited. Yeah, we had the uh, NFL draft. We're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to bring in Adam Lunt here in just a second to break it all down for us, uh, but first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Graduation is not that far away. You're going to need a frame for your diploma, so head over to Chris's. They'll get you hooked up. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. As always, I want to bring in my fellow fraternity member, my, my, my brother, uh, Adam Lunt from the Tape Doesn't Lie podcast, does a great job covering Oklahoma State. He gets way more into the X's and O's than and Colby and I do. He's very knowledgeable about the sport. So, Adam, welcome to the uh, PFB pod. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, always. Thanks. Uh, always love joining and I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, Adam and I used to talk Florida State football all the time, Colby. Now that we're both graduates of OSU, he and I both grew up FSU fans. Now we uh, we mostly just yell about Mike Gundy and, and Spencer Sanders these days. I was fixing to say, if y'all were FSU fans, that was probably fun to talk about when you were talking about it, but it would probably be really <laughs> depressing to talk about now. Our text exchanges have gone way down in the last two, three, four years, basically <laughs> since they are not really as exciting. Tired. Not as yeah. exciting as they used to be. So uh, they used to be a lot of fun. And Adam and I used to follow recruiting. We were so into it for FSU recruiting. So Warchant, uh, Warchant, old school. Oh yeah, uh, old school people right here. Shout so. out to Warchant.com, the rival site for Florida State. I spent way too many hours on there in college, seeing who they were going to get. Uh, but but Adam, I, I always enjoy your expertise. When, when's the next tape doesn't lie pod drop? And I was waiting for the Miami bowl game edition. We never got it. What have you been doing? <laughs> Uh, that's that's a fine question. Uh, honestly, I don't know. Uh, we 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 probably should have done a bowl preview, but or bowl uh, bowl recap. But I think one advantage of of running your own podcast is you can just kind of do one whenever you want. So uh, <laughs> uh, so that's a good question. We'll probably get it fired back up and start some preview stuff. You know, in the slums of the summer when baseball is dominating Sports Center, I'm sure the the urge will will come back to to get it fired back up so yeah that's probably my least favorite time of the year when sports center runs about 10 straight minutes of mlb highlights i'm, I'm so out on that indeed but we did have the nfl draft adam a uh, guy you've been high on for a very long time i feel like you were one of the first people to start pointing out tevin jenkins's potential on the offensive line he dealt with some injuries throughout his career at osu but really really blossomed into what most people thought was a first round draft pick. I mean, every single mock draft I saw had him going in the top 25, but he slides to the second round. Just what were your thoughts on Tevin going uh, as late as he did? Just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a better way? I don't know. I don't know if there's a more uh, diplomatic term. I mean, I know a lot of people were upset at uh, a lot of some of the other players falling and whatnot, but I, I think, you know, he was a clear cut top 15 prospect. Uh, and obviously I'm biased because we're, you know, I'm, I watch mainly big 12 football and, and I'll get to see some of these other players, but you know, the, I did know a lot about Alex Leatherwood, who's an Alabama tackle that went set at 17 and then Christian Darisaw, who was another tackle that went in 23. And, you know, I think in general, just the NFL falls in love with the measurables, the, the, the athleticism and things like that. And, and Tevin Jenkins is more of a, a technique uh, junkie and, and that's where he wins. So, you know, 
the NFL, they, they never, they never let you down. They always go for the flashy, uh, six, six guy with long arms and the traditional stuff. But I think you'll find that Tevin will end up being a much better pro, at least, at least my opinion. So. Colby. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, whenever Adam said stupid, the first thing that I thought was, well, yeah, the Raiders are stupid. They drafted Leatherwood at 17 and they screwed everything up. I mean, they screwed everything up by reaching for a guy. Uh, here's what I think. I think that Oakland, Oakland, I keep saying Oakland. I think that Vegas went to the Alabama pro day and that was the extent of their scouting that they did for offensive line prospects. I, I, I don't know what other explanation there could possibly be as to why they took Leatherwood at 17. And that set off a domino effect that left Christian Darisol on the board too long from Virginia tech, which then left Tevin Jenkins on the board for too long. And Chicago got an absolute steal in the second round. One of the steals, I really think two Oklahoma state players who were drafted were a couple of the biggest steals of the draft in terms of where they're projected and where they ended up going. Uh, and I think both wound up in pretty good spots. So it, it's a bummer for him that he fell, but I think he's in a great spot in Chicago. And I think we could see Tevin Jenkins blocking for Justin Fields for a decade. Yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. The, the Raiders just, you know, Mike Mayock and John Gruden will probably be on TV in a couple of years if they keep reaching the way they do in the first round. They've reached on every first round draft pick they've made. They drafted Clellan Farrell, the defensive end from Clemson at four when a lot of people thought he was a back end of the first round type player. Uh, they took Henry Ruggs probably earlier than a lot of people would. They just, they kind of take who they want and they don't really care about the rankings and ironically mock drafts, considering that's what Mike Mayock has done in most of his career. So I, I think the Raiders just, they don't pay attention. They just draft who they want. They don't really care. But in terms of Tevin's future, Adam, you know, he played all over the offensive line at OSU. He played guard, he played tackle. He, he moved all over the place. Do you see his future at tackle or do you think early in his career he might move to guard or I think Chicago like, like Chicago actually just released their left tackle I believe so he, he might end up there but just how do you see him transitioning his game into the NFL well the the NFL experts and I'm doing it in a very sarcastic manner with the air quotes here um are telling are going to tell you that his his arms are too short which means that it's going to be, and, he, and Tevin Jenkins is not the most athletic tackle in the draft. Like that's not necessarily his game. He, he has a sufficient level of athleticism. So when you pair those two together, generally you're like, well, he could maybe move in inside. And I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think he stays at right tackle. I did hear that they cut their left tackle, which was interesting. Uh, and then I actually saw, I think it was Ian Rapport saying that, that he may start out at left tackle and uh, you know, Jenkins has played, maybe if you add all of it together, maybe almost a full season at left tackle. So it's certainly something that's not foreign to him. I think he's a better right tackle because of some of the, um, the ability to, he, he's not adapt like as good of facing those like really, really speedy edge rushers because he doesn't have that top end athleticism. So I'd probably prefer to have him on the right side where he can use a lot of the, the technique and things that, that he really succeeds at uh, more effectively but I, you know, I think I tend to think, I mean, if you go back and look at the, everyone on Twitter loves to rave about the Texas tape, right? Where it was Joseph Asai versus Tevin Jenkins <laughs> and Asai is a premier athlete. You know, he's going to be a really good player in the NFL too. And, you know, for the most part, Jenkins just dominated Asai and Asai had an amazing game, but it was all on the other side. They, you know, Texas was smart and they moved him around and things like that. Uh, so I think, you know, if, if they were smart, they'd keep him at right tackle. I think he's going to show out and he'll be totally fine with using, uh, I think he has 33 and a half inch arms. And I want to say, um, 
I think it's Leatherwood has 33 and seven eighths an arm length. So literally we're talking about like less than a half of an inch difference <laughs> on arm length. Uh, so the long story short, I think he ends up at right tackle. That's where he needs to be. That'd be my prediction. So. What was it about him, Adam, that, that stuck out to you? You know, Colby and I don't necessarily stare at the offensive line when we're watching football, but you really break down the tape and you, you saw something in him early in his career. What was it about Jenkins that, that caught your eye? And, you know, you were, you were proven to be correct because he was projected as a first round pick. So patience is one thing. And I think it's really important. A lot of people think about offensive line play and they're like, you know, it's just massive humans just like <laughs> colliding with each other. Right. Which is, you know, uh, obviously that's that's what is happening but there's a lot of uh, intricacies within that right and I think Jenkins showed uh, an incredible amount of patience at an early age I think if I remember right the first time I saw him play was against Pittsburgh in 2017 and he actually kind of came in in the second half because someone was injured I think it may have been Zach Crabtree I, I, I'm not sure if I have that perfectly correct but um, most of the time you get a young tackle come in and it's, they always want to do, you know, when they go into a pass set, they're always trying to engage with the defensive end to kind of slow them down or, uh, or get a hand on them. And, and Jenkins was so natural in his patience where, you know, he, he basically kind of lets, he takes his angle and he lets you come to him. And then once you get to him, he, he gets his hands and he just dominates you with his hands. Uh, and there's a lot of different moves he has. That, that he can use on pass rushers that basically kind of just make them ineffective. Um, he, he formulated a lot of those hand movements later in his career. So I, I'd probably be lying if I said I could portray, you know, see that early on. But I think his patience really stood out really early, especially as a young player. So why the hell did Justin Fields fall as far as he did? That's who, <laughs> that's who Tevin's going to be blocking for. Because everyone, there's experts <laughs> that talk themselves out of it. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, that's, it's just not smart. Uh, you know, I, I'm a really big Zach Wilson fan. I think he's going to be a really good player. I mean, I, I really don't think that you could have gone wrong with any of the four quarterbacks. So I think that's probably a discussion for another day. Uh, but you know, the, the Justin Fields thing was pretty much madness, you know, in terms of trying to nitpick and, and all that stuff. He showed that he was an amazing quarterback. I mean, uh, what was his, uh, a year ago, I think he, he had two interceptions and like 40 touchdowns, <laughs> you know no. I mean? It's uh, unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I, I have no idea what these teams are thinking, especially obviously you said the jets liked Wilson and I, I could pick him apart for being a one hit wonder that that's fine. Teams like Atlanta and specifically Denver passing on him is crazy to me, especially Denver, considering they have Drew Locke and Bridgewater and, you know, the chance to get a fields where they, where they were at is just crazy. They're going to, they're going to look back about five games into this season and be like, why the hell didn't we take fields when their quarterback situation is just a total mess? Well, I think one thing that, that took me a while to realize is, is a lot of people think they look at the draft results and they just think it's like a chronicle list of quality, right? So if you were the 11th pick, that means you're 11th best player. And it, if you kind of break it down, it really doesn't work that way because it's like you need, you have like need, you know, you need a quarterback, right? And then you have the scheme, you know, in terms of the type of football you play and then the, pr the preference of the player, of the people that, that are picking, you know, and sometimes 
maybe they want more of a traditional quarterback and uh, and things like that. So all three of those kind of have to work together to be able to select a player. And it, it works. Um, same thing with like Talon Wallace um, situation where he's like, he falls way too low and you're like, what in the world is happening? You need all those three factors to kind of align for a pick to happen successfully. Unfortunately for Justin Fields, you know, that means he slips to 11. At least it wasn't like an Aaron Rodgers situation where he falls to like, what, 24 or something. Yeah. Uh, so Chicago is still a pretty good spot for him. He's got some good weapons. They're rebuilding on the offensive line. Matt Nagy's a decent offensive mind. So um, it could be worse for him for sure. Yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. You know, Jenkins and Fields together. It's going to be a lot of fun up in Chicago. Colby, we haven't talked since the draft. What did you think of uh, Chuba going where he did? I thought he went a little earlier than, than expected in the uh, fourth round of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, so I'm driving to Tulsa on Saturday. We went going to one of my uh, wife's cousin's birthday parties, and I keep asking my wife for updates. I'm like, okay, where's, where's Tylan going? That's why I kept asking. I'm, I was like, look and see if Tylan's gone. Look and see if Tylan's gone. So she's refreshing, and she's looking to see if Tylan has been drafted while I'm driving. And she says, well, I don't see Tylan's name, but I see Chuba's name here. I said, what? She, she's like, yeah, I see Chuba <laughs> Hubbard, Panthers, 126. And I said, I said, scroll back up. Make sure you don't see Tylan's name somewhere. She scrolled back up. Then I made her hand me the phone. And then I looked at the phone. I was confused. I was really confused because I would have put a lot of money on Tylan Wallace being drafted ahead of Chuba Hubbard in this year's draft. Uh, I actually really like the spot for Chuba for a few reasons. He has a coach who believes in him, in Matt Rule. Uh, Chuba Hubbard ran absolutely wild on Matt Rule uh, in his final season at Baylor. I think he ran north of 200 yards. And then, you know, Matt Rule saying his wife texted him, told him to take Chuba. That was a great video and everything. But I like the fit. Because I think Carolina realizes that they've been using Christian McCaffrey too much the last couple of years and that his body just is not going to be able to hold up. It's just not sustainable for him to touch the ball 35 times a game and take all those hits. I think they'd like to get him down in the 25 touch a game number. I think we're going to see Chuba getting maybe not double digit touches on average, but I think we'll see a few of those games. Also, McCaffrey's had injury problems. And I think that if you're looking at Chuba Hubbard coming into the NFL, I think you can make an argument that he is a poor man's Christian McCaffrey. And I certainly don't mean that as an insult because I think Christian McCaffrey is one of, if not the best running back in the league. So I actually think it's a really good spot where the, the system fits, the style fits, and he has a coach who believes in it. What do you think, Adam? I think it's a weird fit. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I, I think – if you think about what Chuba Hubbard does well, you know, he's, he's got great vision. He's got great patience. Uh, and he's, he's what would the, the people would call it like he's a zone scheme guys. Right. So give him some space. He can get to the second level and just hit it. Right. Um, Joe Brady, who's the offensive coordinator for the Panthers. I mean, you guys remember at LSU, I'm sure. And Joe Burrow, they, they went five wide a lot. They used their running backs in the passing game a lot. Christian McCaffrey is a great receiving running back. Mike Davis, who played for him um, last season, also a good receiver. Um, I saw a stat, I think 25% of their touches last year were catches. Um, and if you looked at Chuba's stats, I mean, that was one of the, his weaknesses was receiving out of the backfield. Um, I feel pretty confident that he could be fine receiving, but it seems kind of like a strange fit to me. But it's an amazing fit from a depth chart perspective. I mean, uh, I think what Colby mentioned was probably true that they want to lessen the load for McCaffrey. Also, Mike Davis is on his way to Atlanta now. So, and you look at the depth chart and it, it looks very favorable for Chuba. So it's, 
it's kind of a give and take, I guess, that, you know, you can probably get on the field a lot earlier in Carolina, um, but it seems like kind of a strange fit, like football-wise. So, No, I, I agree with all those points. I, I do think it's a good fit depth chart-wise. I Answer me this, Adam. W- was Chuba a bad receiver? Because I thought, you know, he came in as a – when he first started playing as a redshirt freshman, his first touchdown he ever scored was a catch where he caught it out in space and just turned on the Jets and scored. And I – I kind of thought they should have used him more as a receiver. Now, maybe he's not a, he's probably not a good blocker out of the shotgun as a, as a running back, but am I wrong in saying that he they could have been utilized more or did you see something in him where he was, just wasn't very good at it? I don't think that I would say that he's not good at it. I just think that he's just not experienced. Um, he's, he's definitely not a good pass protector. <laughs> I can say that with, with a good amount of confidence. Um, and, and, you know, he's going to have to get better at that because they're definitely going to ask him to, to be a part of that more. Uh, in terms of catching on the backfield, like, I don't think that there's just enough reps. I mean, I would say probably half of his catches were just catching like screen passes, which those are not hard catches, you know, the, where you kind of run through and, and turn around and catch a lob pass. Like that's not really displaying any receiving skills. I'm more talking about like the flare screens or even running a route. Uh, and, and catching a pass. I just, I don't know if there's enough there to determine if he's good or not. So, which means that there may be some, you know, kind of a learning curve for him for a year or two, getting more adept at running a lot of those, those routes that Joe, Bright, Joe Brady's going to ask of, of them. So not to mention Sam Darnold comes in and, you know, I think Sam Darnold is the type of guy that would check down or throw short inter- intermediate passes a lot, which, you know, could mean that it's even more of a part of the game plan as well. So what happened to Chuba? I mean, he was a different player last year than the guy that, you know, led the nation in rushing. I mean, I, to me, he looked pretty timid and just didn't look like the same player at all. What did you see on, on tape from Chuba? I think, I think just injuries really hurt him. Um, you know, and maybe it was kind of a, a humbling experience for him too. I mean, he had such an amazing run in 2019. And I remember sitting at, I went to practice in August of 2019 one time and, he was one of the most impressive athletes I've ever seen in person. I mean, just, uh, just up, up close. I mean, just a freak and, and, you know, even in practice, like seeing him run around and, and I'm not necessarily saying that he wasn't in equal shape the next year, but I really do think, I mean, he was rehabbing, uh, over the off season. And I think, you know, it was a situation where maybe he was never able to reach that level of fitness, uh, because of those injuries and, um, you know, just kind of spiraled, to, to what it ended up being. And, and, you know, then he had a fumbling problem and, you know, I'm sure frustration, the mental side of things kicked in. So my guess would be the injuries were the main root of the problem. Yeah, that makes sense. He, he was banged up quite a bit uh, last year. Colby, you mentioned it. I mean, I'm sure Adam has takes on it as well. I have plenty of takes on Tylen Wallace falling to pick 131, but Colby, once you, you got the phone in your hands, did you, did you finally see where, where Tylen ended up? Finally, I saw where Tylen ended up, and I was really looking forward to this part of the conversation. I sat down, I did some research, because I saw your tweet that Baltimore was your number one destination for Tylen Wallace. So I sat down, and I actually made a list of teams where I would, would have liked Tylen to have gone and figured out where I would have slotted Baltimore in. And I think I probably would have had Baltimore at like six or seven. My number one would have been the Chargers. I mean, the second and third receivers out there are Mike Williams, Tyron Johnson. You know, it's, it's kind Tyron. of – 
revolving door. He might have had to beat out Ty, Tyron Johnson for playing time. But with, with Justin Herbert slinging it all over the yard, throwing for 370 yards a game, I think that would have been the best spot for him to both make the team and put up big numbers and potentially have a thousand yard, yard receiving season in his first few years in the league. At number two, I had Jacksonville. He probably would have had to beat out like LaVisca Chenault for playing time, and he could have grown with Trevor Lawrence, which I would have really liked. At number three, I had the Bills. Emmanuel Sanders is who he would have had to beat out there for play, playing time. I think he is very deep into the back nine of his career. At number four, I had him going to play with Justin Fields with the Bears. Once they took Fields, I loved the fit. They've got Allen Robinson, and behind that, they've got Anthony Miller and Javon Wims. And that speaks partially how high I am on Justin Fields, uh, but also to the fact that I think he could have done good things there. And then five, six, and seven to me are all interchangeable, and that includes the Ravens. I've got the Colts, the Titans, and the Ravens as interchangeable because I think on all three of those teams, he's immediately a starter whenever you look at the depth chart, but I'm not sure how those offenses fit in terms of just how many looks he'll get at receiver, and I'm not sure how much I trust uh, Carson Wentz certainly to get in the ball in Indy, Ryan Tannehill to get in the ball in Tennessee. I, I do like Lamar Jackson better than those guys. My only hesitation on Baltimore, and this is the only reason I have them in, in the five, six, seven range, he will be on the field. He will be top three on the depth chart at receiver, barring some, some other moves that they make. But, man, Baltimore runs it more than anybody in the league. They throw it to the tight ends a ton. I just don't know how many opportunities there are going to be uh, for, for him to really have big games and have 1,000-yard seasons. I think that it raises his floor because I think that he's going to immediately be on the field for a team that's going to be playing meaningful games every Sunday and should have a chance to win playoff games. But I think maybe it lowers his ceiling a little bit because he's just not going to a high-powered passing offense where you get a lot of opportunities as a receiver. So I, I like a certain aspect of it, and I dislike a certain aspect of it. Adam, what do you think of the fit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a lot of good points. Um, it, you know, the, the, the depth chart for the Ravens is kind of strange because – there's a lot of like very similar profiles. Like for example, I mean, you guys, I'm sure we all have awful horror stories of Hollywood Brown running for 90 yards in Bedlam. <laughs> um, and, you know, so they signed Sammy Watkins, who's kind of like, I don't know, five, six years away from his prime. Uh, and, you know, their first round pick was Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Who's a, who's a nice receiver as well. And then James Proch, I'm pretty sure I butchered his last name. Uh, from SMU is, is a very similar player to Tylen Wallace. And then Devin Duvernay as well, kind of a similar, not, not necessarily similar game, but similar size. So, you know, it's not necessarily like uh, the, the most intimidating depth chart for sure. So there's going to be opportunities for him. I just have concerns about the Ravens in general on offense. I mean, I, I, I have concerns that people have started to figure them out. I mean, Lamar Jackson really wore down towards the back half of the season last year because teams started to adapt to their style of offense, which is kind of a college style offense of like the inverted veer and they do all kinds of fun stuff in the run game. Um, and their passing game is like very elementary. And I think, and Colby referenced it, you know, they throw to the tight end a lot. Mark Andrews led them in receiving in terms of receptions. Uh, so I think there'll be opportunity to get on the field. I'm just concerned about opportunities to get targets. Uh, and, and open targets would be my concern. But, you know, I think he's got, a, he's got an opportunity. Um, the cool thing about Tylen is I think you can, he can play inside, he can play outside, um, regardless of his size. So, um, so I think, you know, given his history, I think he'll be fine getting on the field.
So yeah, and that's those are all certainly really fair points. And uh, for me, I understand the lack of productivity in the passing game with Lamar Jackson. I I'm not sitting here saying he's Aaron Rodgers throwing the football. I'm not. But I will say he hasn't – I think Mark Andrews was about the only reliable target he's had the last two years. I mean, I think he, he throws some some bombs to, to Hollywood Brown that didn't connect virtually all year. Then he, he scored like five, six straight games to end the season. I think now that they've added Bateman and Tywin, I think I think Lamar Jackson's going to prove he's, he's a better thrower than he has thus far in his career. And, and the main reason I like him going there is the depth chart you referenced, Adam. That, I mean – Willie Sneed, he's about 10 years away from his prime. And obviously, Sammy Watkins is going to be out with a hamstring first by eight weeks of the season. So I think the opportunity is there. And I just love him going to a winning organization like Baltimore. Baltimore always drafts well. They always do this. They let value fall to them. That's what they did with Tywin. But Colby, just how shocked are you that Tywin went 131? And I want to get Adam Stake after that, too. And just why do you think he fell that far? Yeah, I mean, I was racking my brain all weekend trying to figure it out. The only thing you can come up with really is is the ACL injury. Um, and, and then, you know, Trayson obviously had multiple ACLs that ended his career. And you, you don't want to draw that line between Thailand and Trayson, but it's hard not to when you're looking at family, you're looking at injuries. And uh, again, I'm grasping for straws here, trying to figure out why Tylen Wallace, who, I, I mean, look, I, I don't think that he was better than Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. I don't think he should have been the first receiver off the board. I'm not crazy. But I think I had him 71 in, in my mock, the, the, whatever we did last Friday. I think I had him going 71. Most places that I saw had him in a similar range. And I just kept watching on Friday night in those second and third rounds. And, you know, earlier that night we had seen the pictures of him and Trayson and they had the draft party Friday night. And then he doesn't get drafted Friday night. I'm, I'm just – I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. I, I don't know. Maybe Adam has uh, more insight as to maybe why he fell. It's just – Sometimes these things happen and, and certain guys fall victim. And this year it was Tylen Wallace who fell victim. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just circle back to what I was saying before about the need and the scheme and the preference. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Like Amari Rogers was a receiver from Clemson. He was Trevor Lawrence's like number one receiver this year because of injury, but he was still their, their leading receiver. Similar size profile has an ACL tear on his background. And, you know, it doesn't have half the production of Wallace and he went 46 picks before Wallace, you know, and I think they're not the same exact player, but they're pretty similar in terms of, you know, they both can play multiple positions at wide receiver and, um, you know, versatile, good college production and have injury history. And it, a lot of, maybe, you know, Amari Rogers, maybe a little bit more explosive. Wallace has better ball skills, just kind of your preference. And then if you talk about, let's say you're, you're at 85, which I think, I don't know who picked him at 85. You know, you may have Rodgers or Wallace there, you know, and you're like, all right, well, I'll take either one of them. doesn't matter. But then the next team that's picking the receiver may have three receivers in front of them. So a lot of it just has to do with, you know, finding the right fit. And you, you can fall 40, 50 picks like that, you know, in these drafts. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not super surprised that he fell because like you guys have referenced the injury stuff. Um, he had pretty good measurables and stuff at the pro day, but I think most people think he's more of a four, five, two, four, five, five type guy and, and his size, you know, but I, I think it's, it's pretty clear to me that I think Tylen Wallace is going to be an eight to 10 year NFL receiver, probably never a pro bowl level, but he's always going to be really rock solid. And, you know, so, you know, his draft position, whether it be, you know, 86 or 115 in the grand scheme of things, I'm not too concerned about it. So yeah, and I think teams 
look at the measurables. Oh, he's 5'11", and you can cue up the tape, and he looks he looks 6'3 on tape, but I think teams just have a hard time knowing what he actually measures out at and trusting it because they haven't had the history with Tywin that that we have and watched so many games year in, year out as we have. Answer me this, Adam, though. One, one criticism I have seen out there, and it, it does make a little bit of sense on the surface, is OSU didn't ask Tywin to run a whole lot of routes. I mean, his route tree was very limited. I, someone even speculated he ran about three different routes total <laughs> last year. And that was, a big, that was a big knock on James Washington's ability coming out. James Washington, I believe, was the seventh receiver taken. Tylen was the 19th. Is there something about OSU's offense, Adam, that you've seen that they just don't ask him to, to run a lot of routes and that kind of hurts these guys when it comes to NFL draft? Well, I think it's all about fi- – <laughs> I mean, if people want to find a problem, they will. You know, so, so my – you're you're right. I mean, they he didn't run a lot of routes, and also too, his releases aren't great. Um, you know, he struggled. I don't know if you guys remember. I mean, how many catches did Tylen Wallace get where he ran out of bounds and then came back in? And that's generally mm-hmm. because he's he has a, a speed outside release that he uses ninety percent of the time, and a lot of times he gets he's forced out of bounds. So, um, but to that point, corners can play you certain ways because you know you know they 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 know. I think three is a little bit of a stretch, but I would say five to six routes and and you know three to four core routes, and then also too he only plays on the right side of the field. Um, you know when you play that Z position, it's you know the, it's it's the right side of the field exclusively. So um, so if you if you want to emphasize that as an NFL, you know, GM or scout or whoever you are, that's certainly something that you can look at because if you're looking at Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle or whoever, um, that's probably not going to be the case. They're going to run more routes. Um, what I would say is, is he went down the, to the senior bowl and torched everyone though on all 10 routes. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you know, I think you could sell yourself in or out depending on the way you look at it. And my guess is, is that Talon Wallace from a, has always been a, a really good route runner of the ones that he did run. I think he'll be fine, but um, I think the people making the decisions are they're human. So if there's something they don't see that, that they don't like, then they're going to find a bunch of other things they don't like as well to kind of talk themselves out of it. And, and routes, the amount of routes and the quality of routes that, that he's done is certainly something that doesn't work um, in his favor. And part of that is because of the offense that, that OSU has for sure. Sure. Uh, Rodarius Williams goes in the sixth round. Colby, you, you were singing his praises all year. Uh, Last a little longer than we would have liked, but he at least got drafted. Yeah, Carson, it is so heartbreaking. I just, I really hate it. Rodarius Williams was one of my favorite players to watch last year at Oklahoma state. And now uh, I just, I can't root for him anymore. I can't, not only can I not root for him, I have to actively root against him because the New York giants are to me, one of the most unlikable organizations in all of sports. I hate everything that they stand for, everything that they've ever stood for, and everything that they ever will stand for. Uh, I was truly, truly heartbroken uh, whenever I saw that he went to the New York Giants. My wife asked me if I was okay. She asked me what was wrong. I said, Rodarius went to the Giants. She's like, what, what does that mean? I'm like, it means that I can't root for one of my favorite players now. So I, I hate it. I hate it for a lot of reasons. But, uh, yeah, the, the New York Giants, not a fan. Lunt, you're a fellow Cowboys fan. Same, same feelings? Oh yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, uh, I think I have a clear reason though, why I don't know if people think that Rodarius slipped. I mean, some people may have viewed him as a sixth round pick. I thought he would go maybe like in the fourth kind of with Thailand and Shuba, but um, Rodarius Williams is almost 25. Uh, he's he's oh. three months away, you know, and, and if you think about it, 
you know, how many 32 year old cornerbacks are in the league still playing at a high level, you know, uh, like uh, Richard Sherman, maybe one or, you know, Darrell Revis played until he was like 35, I think. But, but if you look at it, like the shelf life, it's kind of similar to running back where, you know, most cornerbacks rely you know, on pretty high level athleticism. And, you know, when you get older, that kind of diminishes. So, um, so when you're talking about cornerbacks and a 25 year old, you know, that's going to push you back a little bit for sure. And I think probably that was the primary reason for him because Rodarius Williams had, had great senior tape. And I mean, he, when he started like 42 games or something like that. So I, in my mind, there's every reason why he's a third or fourth round pick other than his age, which is unfortunate for him, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I listened to uh, the ringer NFL draft kind of recap, giving out their grades and all they did was yell about players that were taken when they were 24 years old and how that was a de- terrible pick. <laughs> so it's kind of turned in the NBA. Like if an NBA, if you're, if you're over like 21, you're just ancient and they shouldn't draft you. What so. they, what they think about 28 year olds or how old was Sweden when he got drafted? Oh yeah. See, he, he got in ahead of the, ahead of the curve. No one really, I mean, people mentioned it, but it wasn't near as big a deal as it would be probably nowadays uh several guys signed free agent deals uh dylan stoner goes to the raiders calvin bundage goes to the steelers amen ogbong bamiga goes to the chargers and I, I i don't know about you guys but i can just hear john gruden just watching tape in a dark room going that guy stoner man he can <laughs> ball man I, I like that stoner can you can you, don't you think he's gonna have a career i do yeah i mean i, I like stoner i i think that Look, whenever you're dealing with undrafted free agents, some of those guys hit, a lot of those guys don't hit. And, and you always want to think that, you know, your guys are going to make it, that Bundage is going to, you know, be the next pass rusher coming off the edge for the Steelers and Stoner's going to be the next uh, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, whatever, whatever other white slot receiver you want to compare him to. It, it's, it, it's about situation a lot of times and just maximizing opportunities. I mean, these guys, anytime somebody goes down and they have a chance to prove themselves, They've got to do it. You just, as an undrafted free agent, you don't have room for mistakes. We've seen it on hard knocks time and time and time again. As an undrafted free agent, you've got to stand out above the crowd uh, to get people's attention. So hopefully some of those guys can do that. I like Ogbong Bamiga out with the Chargers. I, I really kind of like the spots that everybody win. I think, I think it gives them a decent chance to do something, but no opportunities can be wasted as an undrafted free agent. He's going to have to beat out uh, Marcel Aiden for a spot. Oh, buddy. Yeah. So uh, the, the Raiders wide receiver unit's pretty average too. So it's, it's a pretty good landing spot, but he's got his clone Hunter Renfro on the, on the team too. So, uh, you know, cue up the stereotypical white uh, slot receiver. um, uh, But Hunter Renfro, I think had like 50 catches last year or something. So, and I think too, from, you know, Gruden's old school West coast days and stuff like that. I mean, they love to run a lot of quick, short, you know, speed routes and things like that. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good fit. And at this point, I don't, I don't think I'm going to doubt Dylan Stoner. I mean, a lot of people, you know, kind of view him as this, this particular type of player. And then all of a sudden he'll go out and surprise you and, and, and make plays, you know, that's all it does. So I wouldn't be surprised if he made the roster, it's probably going to be an uphill battle for him for sure. Uh, but, uh, but it's a, it's a good landing spot. I think it's a terrible spot for Marcel Aitman, <laughs> but good spot for Dylan Stoner. So. Yeah, I, I wish Hard Knocks was following the Raiders again. I haven't seen who they're following this year. They might not have announced it yet, but I guarantee you, if they were following the Raiders this in, in the summertime, Stoner would show up and the DBs would kind of look at him and go, Who, "Who's this guy?" And they would expect him to be a Wes Welker, Julian Edelman type, 
and he'd be taking off the top off the defense with with his speed. I mean, this kid was he has legit speed. He ran a what a four five forty. I mean, he he's faster than he looks, and I think he he plays bigger and more as a downfield threat than I think he's given credit for. So I I think he's going to surprise some people in camp. But you're right, he does he does face a uh, an uphill battle there in, in Las Vegas. Uh, Adam, did you uh, did you go to the spring game? Did you did you watch it? I mean, I guess you had to be there if you if you watched it. I, uh, which, yeah, it's unfortunate. I was not there. Um, I did uh, have the ability to watch some practice back in early April, um, which was cool. So I, I kind of got a feel. I mean, I, I watched some of the highlights. Um, it really sucks that OSU didn't release any type of recording or anything. Um, so unfortunately, uh, I wasn't able to be there and wasn't able to watch it, but, you know, did be able to, I was able to watch, I don't know, whatever 12 plays they released on video. So. Well, Colby and I have yelled at each, back and forth at each other, and basically the clouds outside just yelling at the clouds. Like, why does OSU run two cowboy backs in a phone booth? I mean, I thought, again, I thought the Bedlam game was was coaching malpractice. They basically ran Tywin and one other receiver on long, deep, slow-developing routes, and the defensive line for OU just wreaked havoc the entire game. Please tell me and Colby that they're going to spread it out more and run more OSU, you know, air raid, you know, spread offense that we that we need to see. Yeah, the Bedlam game was certainly not the best uh, coaching performance, for sure. <laughs> um, there was a lot of really strange decisions that I, I think uh, happened that were unfortunate that, you know, and things went south fast. Um, I think, you know, I think the vanilla nature of, of what you guys are referring to is, you know, kind of a snowball effect of several things. One was just, you know, the musical chairs on the offensive line. And, you know, frankly, the other one would be uh, just a, you know, uh, immaturity, mental, uh, mental immaturity from Spencer Sanders, you know, not able to, to kind of digest all of what they want to do. And I think, um, you know, one thing that, that was really promising towards the end of the year is, is you start to see, I think it started in the TCU game. Um, now I've been ripped many times for that because uh, Spencer Sanders had poor stats in the TCU game. But I think if you, if you evaluate, you know, every throw in that particular game, I think he starts to turn a little bit of a corner. It's also what I saw in practice. And then I, I if I believe, um, if I remember right, there's a, a drive in the spring game where, you know, he ran hurry up and spread the ball around. There was a lot of check downs and short passes, but he was, you know, seven for seven or eight for eight or something like that. Um, and moving fast, you know, and spreading the ball around, I think is important. So uh, in addition to over-reliance on Tylen Wallace, I mean, you hate to say that Tylen Wallace leaving can have a positive impact on Spencer Sanders. I know that sounds really stupid, but um, there's so many options in the OSU offense where, you know, if you get the matchup outside, you take it. There's no other reads, you know, like you break the huddle, you line up, and if you get the matchup you want to the right side, you throw it to the right side. So there's like a, a lack of progression there that, um, that, that happens when you have a guy like Tyon Wallace. Well, now that he's gone, Spencer Sanders is kind of forced to kind of work through those, uh, those progressions and the remaining in the offense. And my hope is, is that that will kind of have a, a positive impact. So. What do you, what do you think Colby about everything you said? Yeah. I mean, first off, just looking back to that Bedlam game, Unfortunate isn't the word I would use. I, I would use uh, terrible, mind, mind numbing. A um, lot of words that I used at the time. See, and now we're going to get fired up again. I, I tried to pluck that Bedlam game from my memory altogether. That's my bad. 
but now it's back. Uh, yeah. I've watched it like five times. So, I mean, I, I just, I, I like pain, inflicting pain to myself, I guess. So. Yeah, that's like uh, the college football fan equivalent of Stockholm Syndrome, to continue <laughs> watching that game over and over again. I watched it once, and I will never watch it again. I, I just don't have the mental capacity to do so. That's why uh, Adam Lott is here, so that he can break it down <laughs> even more in-depth for us. I, I do hope that this year we see a progression from Spencer Sanders, because I think there's a, a lot of truth to what you said about the fact that Tylen Wallace was very much a safety blanket. He was very much a guy that Spencer Sanders would get locked in on it, it made it to where you know you didn't have to go through your progressions because Tyler Wallace was going to win most battles I mean you you throw it up uh he's going to win or he's just going to beat his guy you don't even have to throw it up because he's wide open I do think that this year we'll see Spencer Sanders look around more with Brennan Presley with Tay Martin with some of the other guys uh some of the younger guys that I think could get involved that we saw in the spring game so I, I hope that we see a big jump from Spencer Sanders because I think as the coaching staff gets more confidence in Spencer then they'll have more confidence to open up the offense I, I think that it was a chicken and the egg conversation last year it's like are, are they calling this style of offense because they don't have confidence in Spencer or does Spencer not have any confidence because they're calling this style of offense that handcuffs him and doesn't really allow him to do things. So hopefully that's much more of a symbiotic relationship this year where they have confidence and trust in each other. And we see a much more free flowing offense that doesn't look so forced. That was my problem last year. Every single yard that Oklahoma State gained looked like it was difficult. And it shouldn't look that way, man. It's, it's, I know the Big 12 has shifted a little bit and it's much more defensive than it was several years ago. But you shouldn't be having to work for every single yard you pick up against Kansas State. So hopefully that's not the case this year. Yeah, Adam, what do you see from Spencer? Uh, what do you expect this year? Do you think he can make a jump and kind of limit those turnovers and just – how do you see Spencer performing this year and just kind of your outlook for OSU? I was pretty down on OSU the way the season ended, but just hearing Mike and the way he's talking about this team and some of the young players they have coming through, I'm way more optimistic than I thought I would be at this point. But just what do you see from Spencer and the team this year? Well, it's, it's certainly strange because generally, you know, it seems like OSU always has these these star skill position players that return and you've got all this hope. And it's kind of the opposite where you, you kind of have like this really balanced team with no one really standing out from the other and then you've got this defense coming back that you know has a lot of promise as well so it's 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 a weird territory uh for Oklahoma State and I think you know obviously a lot of it I mean this isn't going to be any crazy analysis here uh, a lot of the team's trajectory and and you know setting the really the ceiling is going to be you know how can Spencer Sanders make that jump um I think there's some some certainly some indicators that tell you that you know, he, he's definitely making that jump. And I, uh, I think he's played in 20 games, but really it's more like 18. Um, and I think a lot of people probably think that he's started like all these games, but, you know, because of injuries and then also the shortened season from last year, um, you know, he's, he's basically started like a, a season and a half. Uh, you'd love to be able to see his progression jump after like the first season, you know, you're like, okay, got it. That season under his belt. You know, for whatever reason, that didn't really happen at the level that that we would have loved to see. Uh, and maybe he's a little bit more of a late bloomer. Uh, but, you know, certainly from what I saw when I you know, went to practice and some of the things, you know, reviewing um, games at the, the latter half of the season, the, specifically the TCU and the Miami game. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of reason to, to be excited for sure. Um, and I think another thing that I noticed, too, was certainly and you guys will love to hear this certainly more of a willingness to open up that passing game to where, um, where they're using more level concepts instead of just, 
you know, running the, the simple basic out routes and go routes every other play. So, um, so anyways, I mean, I, I think just from an overall perspective, you know, you could see kind of like a less is more thing where, you know, you lose those key players, but you have more progression with your quarterback. Hopefully you don't have as many uh, injuries on the offensive line and you have more of a balanced offensive attack uh, attack. And then, you know, I think hopefully you're able to maintain some level of high defensive play. Um, maybe you take a, a little bit of a step back. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but hopefully it's not a huge step back to where you have like a true balanced team. Whereas last year it really wasn't a balanced team. It's basically a, you know, opportunistic offense, I guess you would call it at best and a great, you know, a, a good, maybe not a great defense that won you some games and maybe some opportunistic plays to get you to nine wins. So I'm fairly opportunistic. Um, you know, I think uh, I think certainly OSU will have an opportunity to to make the Big 12 title game because uh, that's you know obviously that's the goal. So yeah, I'm with you. Uh, are you surprised? 50 minutes in, I haven't asked you about Jelani Woods. <laughs> I, I was I was ready. I'm looking for. I hope I hope he goes and gets 75 catches at at Virginia. I I, I wish nothing best for Jelani Woods. That guy is an amazing blocker. And, uh, you know, I loved watching him play. So, uh, so no, but, uh, but yeah, I'm a little surprised it's taken this long. Tell, so tell your co-host Mitch to lay off my boy Jelani. All right. <laughs> I'll make sure and let I, him know. So I actually he like, won't. I know he won't. And, uh, he's, he's not wrong in that. I'm not saying, you know, the whole offense should revolve around him, but I actually kind of liked your, your idea for him to move to tackle. I mean, his size is freakish. I mean, if he just puts on some weight, was a good blocker as he is, he could have, he could have been a great tackle. It's sad it's not going to be at, at OSU. Uh, Adam, we appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, I'd love to talk even more, but we've we've taken up way too much of your time. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks, thank you guys for giving me like a little sprinkle of football here in May. Um, and happy, uh, or may the 4th be be with you. Oh, yes. Yeah, so. Colby, you a Star Wars guy? I am not a Star Wars guy. It's one of those things where I feel like I just got too far behind and now I would have to invest so much time to catch up. I, I'm not knocking it. I, I don't, I'm not like one of those people that's like, oh, you're a nerd, Star Wars. No, I'm sure it's a great franchise. I'm just too far behind. So I'll, I'll sit this one out. No, just all you got to do is watch the three originals from like the 70s and early 80s. That's all, that's like, all you need to watch. Aren't there like 11 of them in a TV show? Yeah, just the, the, the main trilogy is what they're all based off of. So just watch the original trilogy. It's classic. I, I grew up watching it. It's awesome. They're, they're classic oh, movies. Oh, but you're not alone. I'm, I'm with you. So I've okay, seen, I mean, I've probably you. seen like, like three or four of them, but none of them in order, all of them huh. with five years in between each other. So it's basically like I've seen zero of them. Well, so. May the 4th be with both of you. Again, check out the Tape Doesn't Lie podcast. That's Adam Lunt. Adam, we appreciate it. Colby, we'll get back with you later in the week. Yes, sir. Go Pokes. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, guys.